You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Yes, Kane. I I have turned up for today's uh, <laughs> for today's show, and uh, let's uh, let's just move straight on to talking about Thursday night footy. <laughs> yeah, I, I can always tell your mood from the first sentence of the day, and I, I figured you might be. I figured you might be a little bit down today, and maybe we should just get straight to it. Last night, uh, let's be honest, it wasn't close. The Tigers really led from start to finish against the Bulldogs pretty comprehensive, maybe for them. If you look at it from a Richmond perspective, the best performance they've had all season just about. Uh, I thought they were pretty good from the start. The key players that you wanted to get going were great. Dusty was in one of those moods where he was virtually unstoppable, whether he was in the forward 50, whether he was in the midfield. Uh, He decided he was going to take this one over. And I don't know how you felt about this, but it looked early. I mean, we've spoke. And again, I I was like, I wonder what time, I wonder what game these guys are going to break out a little bit. But Tom Lynch and Jack Rewalt early, I wouldn't say they were dominant throughout. But the size difference and the ability to have a target in 50 looked like an early problem for the dogs. Yeah, they took a couple of grabs yeah, early on, and that, that did set a tone. But they, I guess their influence waned as uh, as the game went on. But there was uh, yeah, D- Dusty was ridiculous in this game. There was there was some frustrating uh, moments for me as a uh, as, as a Bulldogs fan watching this game. There were just too many players that just weren't on at all. And you know when you got one guy with minus two super coach points, and then <laughs> another guy out two minutes into the game. It, it makes it hard to uh, have that sort of uh, competitiveness, but just so many guys just just weren't on. And if it wasn't for um, the bloke we talked about yesterday, Caleb Daniel, Jack McRae, and Bailey Williams, this could have been yeah, 60, 70 point. And McRae had another 37 touches here in his uh, 150th game. But outside of those guys, there weren't many Bulldogs who could have uh, could have lifted their or kept their heads up uh, pretty high. There was um, some curious uh, some curious umpiring, I thought, in this game as well, both ways. It just seemed, they just seemed to be, off again, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know. How did you see that from a neutral perspective? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I did think it was both ways. So I, I don't know whether it's just me, whether I'm getting used to sort of shaking my head a little bit throughout <laughs> every game that I watched. So maybe I didn't think it was too influential. The only one that I will say is I think that it's becoming really difficult for defenders. It oh, does yes. seem to me, it seems to me that particularly the the front on contact free kick, uh, basically any time. A defender, regardless of whether they touch the footy, regardless of whether they turn around and have their eyes on the ball, if they make that front-on contact, it's a free kick, which was never really the case going back 10 years ago. So I, I think in in that instance, it's become pretty easy for the forward to just say, well, I'm just going to position myself where you run into me and I'm going to get a free kick and a shot on goal. There was one, I, I thought, a pretty poor one that Tom Lynch got. He ended up missing uh, the goal anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's just tough for defenders. I mean, I know you. we had Easton Wood on the show a couple of weeks ago, and I would wouldn't mind asking him how how he feels about it because yeah, it does just seem that if you're a defender, any type of contact, if there's two guys grabbing each other, it always seems to go the forwards' way. It's a tough game for a defender. 
Um, yeah, Alex Keith had a pretty rough go of things because that was most definitely not front-on contact against Tom Lynch. And then either five minutes before or five minutes after, he took a clear mark that wasn't uh, that wasn't paid. He was uh, he was he was not happy with those decisions. But the interesting one is a few minutes before that Tom Lynch one, Crozier went back with the flight of the ball. Punched it, but absolutely smashed that Richmond guy straight down the middle, and no free kick was paid. So, mm. are they going to do it that way? If you if you get to the ball first, yeah, you know, much like the the famed you know, Rewalt and Jonathan Brown marks of the past, because they're running back with a fly the ball, but they touch it first and then smash in a guy's front on. Is is that okay? Now, I, I don't think I really know where that sits because Crozier definitely got the ball first, but he smashed that guy straight down the middle, and that was fine to go. So, if, if that's the rule, I'm okay with it, but. Um, it was uh, there were some curious, some curious calls, and one that we've talked about all the time is the holding the ball and dragging it in. And there was one paid against Caleb Daniel in the Ford Fifty, where he sort of didn't look like he wanted. He was sort of holding off, like I don't want to grab this. Tried to, tried to punch it, fresh aired it. The Richmond guy pushed it back under him, and then he got pinged for holding the ball. And that's sort of just that. It's it's the. The problem, I guess, with that rule is that the guys didn't want to grab it because they'd get pinged. He tr- did tried to then punch it out, missed it, got it pinned into him without actually ever grabbing it, and then got done for holding the ball. And I don't think anyone wants to see that sort of result happening. So the Dogs actually won the center clearances in this game 12 to 11. They got their hands on the ball around the stoppages, but they struggled to move the ball forward. I thought turnovers on the game, 67 to the Bulldogs, 54 to Richmond. So uh, plus 13 in turnovers or minus 13, whichever way you want to look at it for the Bulldogs. And I thought it really hurt them because in the first half, they were really in the game. And I think the difference was the drive that Richmond got from their back line. If you look at a guy, I mean, you spoke about Caleb Daniel. He was obviously fantastic again. He's having an incredible season. But Johannesson was well down. Yep. Only 230 meters gained, I believe. Hardly touched the footy. They need him to be running because you look down the other end, my guy, Derek Smith, <laughs> Egma Lee Smith was fantastic. 15 disposals, 12 of those were kicks, uh, and 450 metres gained. I mean, when he got the ball, you really noticed that it was in his hands. And you talk about a guy that's come in, taken an opportunity with a few guys out, doesn't play the same way that Nick Floston does, but uh, he does provide a similar run, and he's probably arguably got better skills. Left footer, beautiful kick of the footy. I, I thought he was impressive again, and I, I don't think that he's a guy that's going to come out of this side. No, he, he looks pretty pretty composed when he's got the ball in hands. He hit a beautiful uh, opposite foot kick at one point into the yeah. corridor on his right, and it just you don't you don't really see many guys where you go well that just do- it doesn't actually look anything like an opposite foot. It just looked completely natural, and that's that's super impressive. I thought Bolton was pretty good for Richmond yeah. as well in this one. Obviously, Dusty was a class above everyone. The the, the uh, commentators were absolutely Dutch rattering each other over over Bolter's plate, which I, I thought I thought he was alright. I'm not sure he deserved that much of it and that much attention. Maybe, I've, maybe I've always salty. said this. Yeah. I've always said this. Every time that um, Bruce is on the call, that he picks one player. Yeah. He picks one player each game and, and that he just loses his mind every time they get near the footy. It doesn't matter what they do or if they stuff up, he picks one player that he's just gonna absolutely slobber over all night long and last night it was Bolter. Before we, we move on, unless you've got anything else to add. I, I do want to ask this, you know, we know you're a doggies man, but we spoke about the ladder and we spoke about the points and, and the crunch with all these these games. They're going to be happening, but how tight it is really from uh, top to around 13th position on the ladder. This one hurt doubly for the Bulldogs. The percentage drops down to 93% on the season. And it's almost become the case where, listen, if, you, if you're going to drop a game, just make sure you don't lose by six, seven goals because the percentages are swinging wildly. And if you lose, and you lose big, 
like the dogs kind of did last night. It's almost like a, an eight point loss. I know that I don't know whether that's too cliche to use that on this podcast, but it feels like it because now uh, you're going to see the dogs slide a little bit with that percentage. Yeah, I'm, okay, I'm just taking it one podcast at a time. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, every time the Bulldogs lose, they get smashed. Smashed by Collingwood, smashed by St Kilda, yeah. smashed by Carlton, and now smashed by Richmond. They've had one close game in their last twenty, and that was last last week's game against Gold Coast. It's the first game I think it's been within thirty points in their last nineteen or twenty games. Which is a, a ludicrous number, but they just uh, are getting either smashed or doing the smashing the other way around yeah, for the majority of these games. But yeah, that, that hurts to get down to 93%. They were at 104, 105, I think, last week. So that, it is a big drop off there to see them fall back uh, as far as that. And they're going to be out of the eight by the end of this week. And a really disappointing result uh, for that one. Now, some of the news, I guess, but I'll say basketball because I'm just NBA season ready to kick <laughs> back off. Uh, no footy in New South Wales, it looks like, for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, at this point, and it was interesting, you know, watching AFL 360 and they were talking about Queensland as well. I I mean, the the issue right now is uh, for states like Queensland, South Australia, Western Australia, they're just trying to keep this thing out. Uh, New South Wales is on the verge right now. Victoria is, I mean, clearly today, uh, we were just talking before we record, it looks like it's a pretty disastrous day for Victoria. So, uh, listen, those, those states are just fighting to keep this virus out. And unfortunately, with that, you have to hope that uh, idiots aren't doing stuff that they shouldn't do. And we saw yesterday that that wasn't the case with a couple of people going into Queensland. So, uh, look, as far as finishing the season, as far as having a grand final, we spoke about this a lot during the podcast. But the update is uh, Sydney and GWS yesterday had to pack their bags and get out of there or they're getting out of there today. I've got a friend that works for the Sydney Swans and, and she was – uh, basically that news came through and it's like, okay, well, now I'm packing my bag again. For how long? Who knows? Maybe six weeks, maybe the rest of the season. Nobody knows. It's just it's just a crazy situation. But for the purpose of this season continuing to roll on, uh, again, the AFL had to be a little bit ahead of the curve there. Yeah, it, they did. And they had to have to make those decisions, whether it ends up you know, being something that um, yeah, it was overreactionary. I think you always want to overreact versus underreact yeah. in, these type of, uh, in these type of situations. And... Yeah, we'll we'll see how this all, all pans out in the long run. But um, yeah, not not great stuff there for Victoria and now developing in New South Wales uh, at this point. Let's move on now to the the next thing we want to talk about, and that is we're going to look at Friday night's game. We'll, we'll get to we'll get to Thursday nights later on, but Friday night's games. Uh, we've got coming up, of course, we've got a Friday night double header: uh, Carlton Hawthorne and Essendon and Brisbane. You've asked me the question here, Kane: Are Brisbane really vulnerable? Well, there was a bit of a, a news story going around yesterday, and there was plenty of chatter about this uh, in regards to the Brisbane Lions. Are they vulnerable, particularly with their tall players that are out? We know Daniel McStay is out, uh, suspended. Archie Smith is out for an extended period now, and Stefan Martin out as well. So they're going to be rolling with Oscar McInerney as the Ruckman. In any way, do you look at the injuries that Brisbane have and say that they're vulnerable in a game coming up against Essendon this week? I guess, given the way that this season goes, anyone's vulnerable at any point. But no, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Um, yeah, we, we is an Essen team that just barely got over the line against Adelaide, and yeah, we smashed the week before, so they're not running at at, uh, at full capacity either. So I wouldn't be looking at this and going, oh, yeah, it's, it's it's a real trouble here for Brisbane. Of course, they could be in problems without Martin and relying upon McInerney in the ruck. I think McInerney's doing a pretty solid job, but going up against yeah, Bell Chambers is not. It's not Max Gorn. It's not Brody Brody Grundy. No offense to Tommy Bell Chambers, but I I don't think that... I don't think it's... Yeah, I would expect them to win. I don't 
think that if they do lose, it's a it's a panic moment at all. But you know, every team is dealing with these these injury concerns and suspension concerns, of course, with McState. But I'm not overly reactive to this one for Brisbane. Well, listen, uh, Walsfeld was asked about this yesterday, and I reckon if I was him, I would have almost just started cracking up laughing and said, well, you're telling me that another team's got a few injuries and I'm supposed to feel that they're vulnerable? Essendon's injury list right now includes Patrick Ambrose, Joe Danaher, Horatio Fantasia, Dyson Heppel, Kale Hooker, Kyle Langford, Jaden Laverde, and Jake Stringer. So if we're going to talk about a team that might be able to take advantage uh, of a team with a few injuries, I'm just not sure that Essendon is the team to do that. Uh, we know they just got over the line against Adelaide last week, but I looked up some of the numbers around Oscar McInerney uh, this season because uh, I think it will be interesting. He's going to be playing largely one out. We'll wait for the teams to come out for this one, but largely one out in the ruck uh this on Friday night against Essendon, but hitouts to advantage percentage this season. Steph Martin, 19.4%. Archie Smith only played the one game, but 14.7%. Oscar McInerney's actually up at 27.6%. And uh, he's he's had more clearances than Stephen Martin. He's attended 327 ruck contests compared to Steph Martin, 206, even with the vastly superior hitout to advantage percentage. And the Lions are elite in the clearances with the players like Lucky Neal, third in the AFL with 46, and Jared Lyons is also in the top 25 with 34. So do they lose something around the ground with Steph Martin out? Yes, but they've been dealing with that with a few weeks now. I don't think that you can convince me that losing Archie Smith is supposed to be a, a huge loss for the Lions. I think he's talented, no doubt about that. But I, I think purely from a, a ruck contest, the stoppage point of view in the midfield they've got... Uh, listen, you would be really, really, really struggling to convince me that this is going to be a big loss for them. They lose Daniel Rich. Now, that's a loss for the back line and the drive and the power they get out with his elite left foot. But no, I, uh, if I was tipping, I would be tipping the Lions and feeling pretty comfortable about it. Yeah, same. And the other Friday night game or Friday afternoon, if you are in uh, in Western Australia where this game is taking place, is Carlton and Hawthorne. We know that the pressure has been on Hawthorne. Carlton with uh, a bit of a, a bit of a lucky one, I guess, against North Melbourne, just getting over the line. At least you could say an unlucky loss the week before against Port. So it's, where, where do we where do we judge it? Where, where are they sitting? But they should get this one over Hawthorne. They have a, a, a quite a fast paced game style, a very high kick to handball ratio versus Hawthorne's, which is under one. Carlton's gone over two in plenty of games this season. A lot more efficient, a lot more you know speed of movement. Whereas Hawthorne's so much criticism has been, what is this boarding shit that we're seeing? What is this you know slow movement? What are these you know all these big backmen and uh, and that that those struggles that Hawthorne has had? So yeah, this to me looks a little bit recipe disaster for disasterish for Hawthorne. Just that game style that that Carlton is running at the moment, I think that that is going to be, you know, Hawthorne struggling with everyone at the moment. That could be extra uh, tough for them to overcome. (laughs) This is the first time in a decade, I reckon, that I'm going to sit here and say, I expect Carlton to win this game comfortably. I I, I just cannot remember saying that. But yeah, I, I don't see Hawthorne being able to match it with the Blues. I'm really interested to see the lineups from Hawthorne. And Hawks fans will tell you, that there are some interesting talent that have been playing, uh, I was going to say in the reserves, but whatever you want to call it, the scratch matches, they're in the squad. So I'm curious to see what Alex Clarkson does because I think that last week was almost uh, the last draw. I mean, they've lost four games in a row now. The big thing that stands out for me is Hawthorne have only scored over 60 points once since the season restart 
Uh, and that was against Richmond in that game that they looked pretty damn good. And everyone was wondering whether they were back and declaring the tall back line a big success. So this, to me, is an opportunity for Carlton to not only win, but get a little bit of percentage here. You're right. I mean, the attacking footy that they're playing, the way that they're scoring, the rebound from the from the back line, we know they have excellent clearance players. Paddy Cripps obviously leads the way there. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, I like the Blues a lot in this game. And I, I think that this can be a... A big-time win for them, and a handy one. I spoke about it before, about the Bulldogs losing the percentage. I can see a big swing the other way. Carlton could find themselves in the eight by the end of the week. The problem with that is, though, Kane, that if they lose this one, then uh, then, what, then what the hell do we do with Carlton? Like, where, where do we six? We're like, okay, great performance against Port, great against the Bulldogs. Yeah, probably shouldn't have let North Melbourne get that close, and then you lose to Hawthorne. Like, what's what's happening there? Like, with that this is a it's not a defining game, but it's it's going to teach us a lot about where Carlton is. Are they legitimate finals contenders? Because if they lose this one, I'd say that you'd say, well, maybe they're they're a little bit too inconsistent, a little bit too fluky to be uh, to be in that discussion. Yeah, I mean, it's a challenge for them: win, loss, win, loss, win over the last uh, five weeks. So they're looking for back-to-back wins. Uh, but like, well, what will we do? I mean, like, like all good footy analysts, we'll completely write them off on Monday if they lose. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> we 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 have no other choice. What else are we supposed to do? It was written in scripture. That is what it that one is what needs to happen. Um, yeah, so it, it will be. It is keen. I'm I'm super excited to see how they go here because they are an exciting team to watch. And again, you said it's been ten years since you said you expect them to win. Well, how often has it been <laughs> since we said the Cullen's an exciting team to watch? We've been here yeah. for five years. Get them off Friday night footy. It's shit. Now it's like I want to watch Carlton games. Like they're really really fun. There's a lot of good young players there. They play an exciting brand of footy as well, and they are really really fun to watch. So that's uh, that is a big turnaround. I'm sure all Carlton fans are extremely happy about that. Uh, all those change in fortunes for their squad. We do have a game tonight, Kane. Thursday yeah, night footy, which, which we're used to. Um, and it is a good one. Demons, Port. Um, we know Port Adelaide sitting on top of the ladder at the moment. They have come back to Brisbane, just on, on top by percentage now. Melbourne currently in 13th with a game in hand. They'll be looking to push into that top eight as well. Team selection was a little bit interesting for Melbourne this week. Yeah, it was. Uh, we've, we've said this a few times as we've looked at strange selections, decisions, and I've called a late change once. I've called a late change once Mason on the show Cox. and it came through, Mason Cox. I think we might see one here tonight as well. And this is without looking at the weather. It's just me looking at the team balance. And uh, if it doesn't come through, then maybe we'll see something that I'm, I'm not expecting. But uh, the Demons bring in Tom McDonald, uh, but the, and Tom Sparrow comes in as well. But the two outs, Harley Bennell, uh, we know they're just taking it easy with him and, and trying to ensure that he gets through to hopefully a finals campaign for Melbourne because uh, to this point, he's been pretty impressive can, when you consider the lack of footy he's had over the few years and that Neville uh, Jetta is dropped. But for Melbourne now, that means that they have Sam Wiedemann, Tom McDonald, Luke Jackson, and Bailey Fritch. So right now, as the team uh, lineup has come out, Luke Jackson and Bailey Fritch are on the bench. I think it's really interesting because Fritch has actually been their most dangerous forward all season long. When you looked at this lineup, did this surprise you? Yeah, because I'd been talking about you know, getting McDonald back in and probably Jackson would uh, would make way, but that's um, that's not where we're at with this uh, with this team uh, at the moment. And getting McDonald and, and Wiedemann in there, it is it is interesting because we've talked about not the death of the of the big forward. Um, but we've talked about how you know, it is harder for them now, and then going with those the, the extra big forward in there, it is it is a curious decision there. So, what, what are you thinking? You thinking we're going to get a late change of, of Jackson out? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, if I had to guess, he would be the one that would go out. I, I just think that you, you don't want to limit the impact that Bailey Fritch has had. He's been superb this year for Melbourne. We talk about targets that they've had inside 50. Fritch is number one in the team for marks inside 50 with 17 and also number one on the team for marks on the lead. So he's not your contested mark, fly in a pack, take a grab. But he's a nice spot-up option. He's clever. Uh, he, he's, he gets the good spots. So I, I think that Fritch, the guy right now, if he is, I mean, not that starting on the bench matters in modern footy, but it's just interesting to me that he would make way for a guy like Tom McDonald that was really struggling up forward. Let's be honest, he was. Now, the Demons have got their confidence back. They look like they've switched up their ball movement a little bit and been more attacking, but he's been such an important player for them. And as far as score involvements go as well, Fritz is second at Melbourne with 33, only behind Petrarca, who's way up at 49. We know he's been absolutely insane. So I just think they had the balance right because Sam Wiedemann came into the team. He's only played a couple of games now. I mentioned those uh, marks inside 50, but he's a contested mark player. So I thought with uh, Malksham, uh, Mitch Hannon, uh, Fritch, these medium-sized forwards, and then the tall marking target in Wiedemann and Luke Jackson floating around there as well, who can do plenty of things on ground level, I thought they found the balance. Now, McDonald, I, I had a feeling, was going to come in. I mean, the guy's 27 years old. He's an experienced player, and he's been a really damn good AFL player. So maybe you have to fit him in somewhere. But I thought maybe Jackson would go out. Or the other one that I thought might happen is they might find room for him and send him back uh, to defense. We know that's where he started his career. So we'll see if they make a late change. And if they don't, uh, keep an eye on the team balance there and how how it all works out and the impact someone like Fritch will have. It looks a little off-kilter to me, but we'll see. Uh, Other than that, across the board, these two teams in almost all the statistical categories are very, very close. So... Um, for for Port, we look at what, uh, on their side. Rockliffe returns. Uh, Marshall is yep. out. Uh, is going to be out for long term, I believe. Riley Bonner out as well. So Rockliffe, who's been sort of in and out of the team this season, this Port Adelaide team they were disappointing last week against St Kilda. It's, you know, you're, they're allowed to slip up, of course, but it, it wasn't a great performance, and they need to get this back on track. You wouldn't want to lose two in a row, especially in uh, in not embarrassing fashion, but in, in the fashion they lost last week. So they do need to turn it around. The pressure is on them a little bit. And you just wonder here with, uh, you talked about the matching up well, you see it and you just go like, okay, so Oliver, Wines going up against, I didn't mean to say it that way because it sounds like one person, Wines <laughs> and Clayton Oliver, you know, matching up against each other in the middle, like they're not too dissimilar as players. Um, you've got the big forwards, we've got Dixon at one end, you've got those guys from Melbourne we talked about at the other end, you've got... Yeah, just I don't know. It just it seems really, really close, despite the you know, one versus thirteen gap uh, on the ladder, which would uh, which would belie me saying or and you saying that it is close. But a, a lot of the numbers do add up. And Melbourne, so much of what we criticised them for early in the year was they just couldn't hit targets and the disposal efficiency and the kicking was horrible. And that's really improved the last three weeks. And if they can keep that up, I think this is a real chance to to push into a competitive game the, the one major difference between the two teams is the kick to handball ratio 1.6 versus 1.3 so 1.3 is Collingwood Bulldogs territory 1.6 is pushing up towards that Carlton mark which you know, are the the uh, the ends of the of the spectrum both ways so that is a little bit of difference in terms of the way they play but we know that uh, Melbourne is a pretty high paced team and Port Adelaide absolutely attacks so I think we're in for a really fun uh, and exciting night of footy yeah, I mean, Port Adelaide get the ball in their runners, particularly from the back line. So you think Hartley, you think Byrne Jones, and you think Farrell as well. 
uh, I mean, they get the ball on those guys and they, they kick long. And, and this has been the, the significant difference between Port and most teams in the AFL this year. Just quickly on Burn Jones, uh, he ranks elite for disposals for 18.5 and uh, 13.3 of those are effective. So he's a ball carrier. Uh, he actually, and this is the interesting thing for this guy. I mean, you think about Burn Jones, you think about him you know, as really a half-backman, back pocket, defensive player. But his possession heat map, if you have a look at this, 51% of the time is in the defensive half and 49% is in the offensive half. So this is a guy that is not afraid to attack. So this is another reason why I look at the team balance for the Demons. If they're a little bit tall, you do look for the marking advantage and maybe the height and the high ball in there, you can take some contested marks. But if the ball gets to the ground, Port Adelaide are really, really dangerous with those good ball users out of the back line. Uh, this is even without Ryan Burton, who unfortunately is going to be out for a while. But yeah, look, interesting game. One other one, Peter Laddams. Uh, we've been we've been pretty impressed with him the last couple of weeks, but he's got a fair challenge here uh, against Max Gorn. Burn Jones got back to him quickly. He's one of those players that he gets not quite 50-50 split between rebound 50s and inside 50s, but he's mm. he's doing both. And last week, as a defender, he had no rebound 50s and had one inside 50, which <laughs> it just shows the, the running strength. And we know how much Port Adelaide loves those handball offs to the to the big kickers. Like we've seen Farrell kick a couple of goals like that, but they love those, those handballs out the back to the guy running past and, and utilizing. And so much of this you know, coaching and team setup is about let's putting the, the guys in the best position to use their best skills. And you're not having guys that can't do those things do those things. And you're using guys like Farrell in that role and Burn Jones running off to create that 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 inside 50 and forward push out of defense is it's a real credit to being able to get the most out of your players. And, and we're seeing that you know, pretty much every game from Port Adelaide this season. So it's a big game for the Demons, obviously for Port Adelaide as well. They're on top of the ladder. But for Melbourne, we know they have a game in hand. If they win this one, they're right back in the mix. Uh, at some point, they're going to have to play Essendon. They're probably thinking they'd like to play them now uh, with all the injuries that the Bombers have before they get some of those players back. But, uh, yep, just something to keep in mind with Melbourne. They're a game behind. But you've thrown me off this whole entire podcast. Uh, I've been thinking it was Friday. Uh, but I, I guess Wednesday night footy got me, and we'll have to clock on tomorrow again, I suppose. We are. We're back again with uh, with just a recap of this one tomorrow and then looking ahead more to, to the weekend as well as the uh, the cornucopia of footy continues. It's kicked off with a, with a bit of a dud, but hey, unless you're a Richmond fan, you probably enjoyed that Wednesday night one. But let's uh, hope we get some, uh, some big games, some close games, some good footy across these next three weeks of Everyday AFL. Kane, Everyday AFL, that's not quite the name of this podcast, but it's the general ethos that we have. We're here five days a week. Thank you again for coming on for the fourth day this week. Yes, I will catch you tomorrow. One last one word answer for you. Tom Hawkins got off. We didn't speak about that. Is that a good decision or a bad decision? Um, look, it's... You wanted one word answer. Uh, 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 is it a good decision? Yeah, yeah. Let's say yes. Okay. I'll catch you tomorrow. <laughs> All right, guys, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify, go and give us a five-star rating and review. And I'm going to leave you today with a shout-out to Neville Bruns.